God bless you tonight. Thank you so much for joining in with us for this first wonderful Wednesday worship experience for the year 2021. Tonight I'm not going to get into the particulars of the study of the book of the Bible that the ministerial staff and I will be preaching through the course of this calendar year, Lord's willing. I just want to spend some time tonight talking about loving God's Word and how essential it is for us to get back to the basis of just loving the Word of God. Not just reading it, not just hearing it preach, but loving God's Word. If we can get a love for God's Word, then we will have our minds and our spirits spiritually prepared to receive what will be coming on the following Wednesday nights of this year. Take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm number one. Psalm number one, one of my favorite psalms, one that many of you know by heart. Psalm 1, and I'm going to read it in its entirety tonight. I ask you, if you would, even if you're watching, stand with us out of reverence for this being the Word of God. Psalm 1, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. For his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thus is the reading of God's word. A few moments tonight, I want to talk from the thought the key to godly living. The key to godly living. The key to godly living. Brothers and sisters, when we survey our land, be it locally, communal, or municipal perspective, perhaps regionally by looking at states and geographical regions that makes up, made up of various states, nationally or even globally, we consider all the things that we face, all of the different trials, tribulations, 
as well as the evils that we are confronted with on a seemingly daily basis from the terror of gunshots in the community to the storming of the capital and domestic terrorism often done by white supremacists and nationalists to police brutality that takes the lives of several young people far too soon to the threat of terrorism around the world. When we look at the character of man and we do an MRI on man's heart, we have to ask the question, does anyone still want to live God? We think about the attitudes that permeates our communities, our circles of conversation. We think about the things that come out of people's mouths that they say with no consciousness that they say it because what comes up had to come out. We have to ask ourselves the question, does anyone really want to live God? Even pre-pandemic, when pews were packed on Sunday morning and people would lift their hands in the sanctuary, but many would leave the sanctuary and go into the street and use those hands that were lifted to practice things that were uh, abominable in God's sight. We have to ask ourselves. Does anyone really want to live God? I want to ensure you are, I want to pause here and say that to live godly does not mean to be perfect. It does not mean that one does not make mistakes. It does not mean that one does not trip up sometime and say things that they ought not say. It does not mean that all of the T's are crossed and all of the I's are dotted. It does not mean that they are the picture of morality. As the scripture teaches us, all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So godly living is not about moralistic deism, nor is it about um, moral perfectionism. But godly living deals with the whole idea of one's attitudes and one's motivations desiring to please God. To say that one lives godly is not to say that you can't find anything wrong in their lives. It's not to say that you cannot nitpick and begin to um, dissect their behavior and their character and find some elements or some attributes that are not pleasing to God, but overall, when 
one is godly, you can look at the totality of their lives and say that they had a desire to please God. They had a motivation to please God. Not for outward show to the world, but simply out of appreciation for who God is. This is what it means to live godly. It really means that I have a desire to please God every day of my life and in every way that I possibly can. So, question is, does anyone really want to live godly? I must also pause to say this. Living godly is not easy. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Those who desire to live godly will be talked about. Those who desire to live godly will be criticized and misrepresented and misinterpreted by the world because to live godly means that I'm living countercultural. It means that I'm going against the grain. It means that I'm living a life that does not agree with the world's way of thinking. And therefore, because of my desire to please God and do things God's way, I will be persecuted. It's not easy being godly. So I had it right. No one told us the road would be easy. But the reality is, my brothers and sisters, we as called out ones, we the church of the living God, we those who have confessed him as Lord and Savior, we the ecclesia, the called out assembly, those who belong to God, we should have a desire to live godly. We should have a desire to please God. We should have a desire to um, be who he has called us to be in a world that's filled with hatred and bitterness and ungodliness. We should be the light of the world. We should be the salt of the earth. We should have a desire to please God in everything we do. We ought to have a desire to live godly. The problem is many of us don't really know what it takes. We believe that if we come to church, we're God. We believe that if we have a title or a position, we are God. We, we believe, my brothers and sisters, that if we can quote scripture, we are Godly. And I will suggest to you that all the things I just mentioned, they're on Satan's resume as well. Satan comes to church, oftentimes beats us here. Satan has had position within um, the kingdom where he was a, a lead angel in the heavens. And Satan has had a title. And sometimes, even today, Satan has titles in the church. And if anyone knows scripture, Satan knows the scripture. He knows the scripture in such a way that he uses the scripture and attempts to manipulate the scriptures in order to get us outside of the will of God. He's done it ever since the Garden of Eden. He knows.
what God has said that he begins to corrupt or co-opt what God has said in order to try to tempt us into sin. We see it with Jesus in the wilderness following the 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. The devil shows up and he begins to quote scripture to Jesus. So we know, my brothers and sisters, by looking at Satan's resume that just because you come to church and just because you have a title and a position and you're recognized by those who are in the church and just because you can quote scripture and you are gifted and you are talented, it does not mean that you are godly. To be godly really comes down to one thing. To be godly is to uh, uh, to live a godly life is to have a love for God's word. A love for God's word uh, and not only to know it but to believe it and to practice it. I'm going to say it one more time. To live a godly life simply comes down to having a love for God's word and not only knowing it but believing it and practicing it. And if you have a love for God's word, and if you believe God's word, and if you will practice God's word, then my brothers and sisters, you can look at the totality of your life and recognize that you are living godly. You are living a life that shows your desire to please God in everything and in every way that you can. Psalm is unpacks this in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is to open the psalm to the psalter. It is a psalm that is appropriate because it basically sets the tone for the entirety of the 150 psalms. It, it, it sets the tone because it focuses in on God's word and, and God's word leading, leading to godly living. And, and, and the rest of the psalms are psalm, are psalm, are chanted in order to encourage those who sing the psalms to live a life that's pleasing to God's word. And this set the tone. I didn't mean to say this, let me just say this since I'm here. This is why what you sing matters. The Psalms are the stem book of Israel. And the first hymn puts the focus upon the word. Because any song that you sing ought to reflect upon who God is as he's revealed himself in scripture. And any song that is sung in the congregation of the righteous that does not reflect upon who God is based on how he has revealed himself in scripture is heretical. And this is why everything that's on the radio can't be sung in the sanctuary. Sets this tone for the rest of the song. By comparing godly and ungodly. You look at verse number four, where he says, the wicked, the ungodly, are not so. Therefore, the wicked, the ungodly, will not stand in the judgment, nor are sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
God's word so much that you can sit in the worship service and say, I love singing, but give me the word. I love dancing, but give me the word. I love shouting, but I need the word. And all of these other things that we do from the singing to the dancing and the shouting is really just an appetizer, wetting my appetite so that I can eat from the meat of God's so much that you're not watching your watch as the word go forward? Do you love it so much that when you are listening to it, all other things take a backseat goal to peripherals of your mind that you're not thinking about a ball game, you're not thinking about your shopping list, you're not thinking about what you're going to do when the benediction is over, you're not thinking about what's going to happen tomorrow, but in that moment, your entire being, heart, mind, body, and soul is focused on what God is saying in the Word. You love the Word so much that even when the benediction is over, you're still thinking about what God has spoken to you. He love the word. The Bible says this is the key to living godly. Because if you love the word, very quickly, there are three things that will take care of itself. Three things that will take care of itself based on what verse 2 says. Based on what verse 2 says, verse 1 will take care of itself. Because you love God's word, you can, here it is, the one, resist the negative peer pressure from your peers. You can resist negative peer pressure. You, we live in a world now where parents are always concerned about peer pressure. About the peers of my child pulling them in a direction that's, that goes against what I have taught. But peer pressure is not just something that children deal with. Peer pressure is something that all of us deal with. All of us deal with the pressure. Living in an ungodly world, filled with ungodly people, trying to get us to walk away from what we confess and believe. All of us deal with peer pressure. But if you love God's word, and if you have to meditate on God's word, the Bible says that you will not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You will not stand in the way of sinners. You will not sit in the seat of the scoffers. You will avoid bad company. There's something about being in the word of God that helps you discern bad company. Because the Bible through the Holy Spirit will remind you that bad company or bad association can corrupt good man behaviors and good manners. It's my love for God's word. And as I meditate on God's word, it prevents me from taking counsel that's ungodly. As I meditate on God's word, it prevents me from following in the footsteps of those who would do things that are not pleasing to God. As I meditate on God's word, I will not sit in seats of scoffers, scoffers of people who basically lack 
get you to walk away from the faith that you profess. It is your love for God's word that allows you to resist negative prayer pressure. Then it's also your love for God's word that allows you to resist the gradual pull of sin. Still in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that stands not. Blessed is the man who walks not, stands not, sits not. Notice progression. From walking, standing, sitting. And that's how a lot of people are in their lives. They didn't get to those places overnight. They knew what was right or from wrong, but they just started walking around them. And they started to stand around them. And then finally they had pulled up a seat and got comfortable, not only around it, but in it. But a love for God's word will allow you to resist this gradual pool. A love for God's word, my brothers and sisters, will help you to return and repent when you find yourself going down the wrong road. The truth be told, I don't know about you, but I testify for myself. When I find myself being pulled into sin, most of the time when I pause and take inventory of my spiritual life, when I pause and take accountability for where I stand with God, I come to a conclusion always when I find myself being tempted by sin and succumbing to sin, it always comes alone with the correlation that I have not spent time with God and in His Word. But as I spend time in God's Word, His Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light on my path. His Word pulls me back. His Word will draw me out. His Word will deliver me from His Word. My brothers and sisters helps me resist the gradual pull of sin. But then that's one other thing. His Word, if I love His Word, verse 3 will take care of itself. Verse 3 says, He because he loves the word, verse 2, he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears yields fruit in the season whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. If you love God's word, you'll be able to remain stable and productive. If you love God's word, you will be stable and productive. The stability is found in the word like a tree that's planted. Notice the difference between the tree that's planted in verse 3 and the chaff of the wicked in verse 4. The tree that's planted in verse 3 will not be moved. Just like a tree planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. But the wicked, in verse 4, conversely, are like chaff, which has no roots, that is not grounded anywhere. 
and sisters, when you have the word, you can be stable. I wish I could close it right there. Because some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been through hell in 2020. You've been through some trouble before 2020. And right now, even though we're in the first month of 2021, you've already had to encounter some difficult moments. You've been doing some difficult seasons. And when you found yourself in that difficult place and you were, were trying to endure that difficult season, it was the Word of God that helped you stay in the storm. It was the Word of God that gave you strength to keep on going. It was the Word of God that gave you an anchor. It was the Word of God that allowed you to endure. But not only just stand, I thank God that I'm standing, but God says that ain't all. When you love the word, not only will you stand, not only will you be stable in the storm, but you will also produce. You will produce, and this is what's so amazing about it. If you will produce in any season, some people are waiting on a season to produce. But those who are lovers of God's word and desire to live godly, you will produce in any season. Any season that you find yourself in, you will produce because this text gives the picture of the imagery of this tree being planted in a very dry climate. It's being planted in a very dry place that's not good vegetation. A very dry place was not conducive for growth. Says that this tree has been planted by the rivers of water. And because the river of water is placed beside the tree, the river of water will feed the roots of the tree and keep the tree nourished. So that the tree will continue to produce even when it's going through dry seasons. The tree planted by the water produces. When I love God's word and I'm planted, then I'm planted by the water. The water in the scripture is the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit waters my life, as the Holy Spirit waters me even in the midst of a dry culture where I'm oftentimes oppressed and pushed to the peripherals and forgotten in the world that oftentimes shows me that the world that's filled with has and have not I can still produce in the midst of this type of environment because the Holy Spirit is nourishing my life. And I'm able to be productive. But it all starts with the word. See, we live in a world today where most people want the spirit, but they don't want the word. They want to shout, but they don't want the word. They want to dance, but they don't want the word. They want to sing, but they don't want the word. They don't want to be taught the word. They, they don't want to learn the word. They, they want to come to God for what God can do for them instead of learning what God expects from them. They want to have a good time and feel the spirit, but you cannot really enjoy the spirit until you marry the spirit with the word of God. And when the word of God and the spirit is at work 
does not produce fruit for himself. No tree produces fruit for itself. The tree produces fruit for the joy of others. And those who have a desire to live godly, they want to produce fruit, but they're not trying to produce fruit so that their name can be called. Preach, Pastor. They're not trying to produce fruit so that they can be noticed. They're not trying to produce fruit so that they can have fame and fortune. They're not trying to produce fruit so that people will begin to shout them out and talk about how wonderful they are. But they want to produce fruit because when I produce fruit, it brings God glory. And the fruit of my life is there in order to be a nourishment to somebody else. Oh, the fruit of your life encourages others. The fruit of your life blesses others. The fruit of your life blesses your family. The fruit of your life blesses generations that come behind you. Some of us have lost matriarchs and patriarchs and people that are very dear to us, but even though the Lord has called them from labor to reward, we are still enjoying the fruit of their lives. Fruit that remains. Fruit that will not perish. I'm done, but there's one more thing here. The Bible says, if you love God's word, not only will verse 1 take care of itself, and verse 3 will take care of itself, but it goes on to say this, you will be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous, and the Lord will watch over your way, because he knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked, the way of the ungodly will perish. Let me stop here and say this as I go to my seat tonight. Brothers and sisters, when the Bible says we are righteous, it is saying that if we uh, desire to live God, that uh, through our desire to please God, we will have a love for God's word. And we will meditate on his word both day and night. And as we meditate on God's word, the word of God that's been planted on the inside of our hearts will allow us to resist the negative prayer pressure that comes from the world. And the word of God that's in our hearts will pull us away from the direct pool of sin. And if we have the desire to live God and we develop a love for God's word, then God will ensure that we are stable like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And the Lord will ensure that through his word and through his spirit we will bear fruit and that fruit will remain and that fruit will bless others and that fruit will bless generations and that fruit will last beyond our lifespan. 
Get in the word tonight. Someone may need to make a step of faith. 